You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to be asking the question, how can we make the most of the time we have left? But before we take a look at that, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. If you're not on our newsletter list yet, be sure to sign up for our newsletter, but also check out our blog, our podcasts, and our books, and all the other resources that we have available for you on that website. It grows every single week, and we're grateful for the content that we can tell people are utilizing from the feedback that some of you have given us, and also just from the metrics that we're able to look at on the back end of the website, seeing what people are utilizing. I happened to notice recently that the article that we posted sometime last year, I believe we posted it last summer, about God's omniscience, and God's omnipresence, and God's omnipotence. That article has been viewed more than most things on the website, so I don't know if it got indexed somewhere. Uh, It does seem like it's showing up in Google's uh, search engine rankings, and so that's certainly good to hear as well and good to see. But again, we have all that information over there at desirejesus.com. We're grateful that you take advantage of it, and we're grateful to keep adding to it, so be sure to check it out sometime this week. And like I mentioned, every week, if you're not on our newsletter list, we'd invite you to sign up. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're looking at Romans chapter 12. We're looking at the first eight verses of Romans 12, and we're talking about how to make the most of the time we have left. So let's take a look at that together. In just a moment, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. And what we're going to be talking about today has to do with time, even though time isn't specifically mentioned in this portion of Scripture. But one of the ways that we can look at this portion of Scripture is that it's giving us a picture of how to make the most of the time that we have left. So if you would, take your Bibles and open up with me this morning to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start with verse 1, and I'll read down to verse 8 for us. This is what it states. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be able to come together this morning and to worship you. We worship you uh, in so many ways, but Lord, one of the, the ways that we have the privilege to worship you is in studying your word together and understanding what it looks like to apply these truths to our day-to-day lives. We're grateful, Father, for the fact that you've given us portions of Scripture like what we're looking at today. Lord, this is an intensely practical portion of Scripture that points to the work that your Son, Jesus Christ, accomplished on our behalf. And so we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture and as we think about how to use the time that you have blessed us with, we pray that we would glorify you, we pray that we would understand these truths in their entirety, and we pray that we would joyfully live these things out as men and women that you have called unto yourself. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, do you ever daydream? <laughs> Some of you are like, that's funny that you ask, because for the past four minutes I've been daydreaming. Um, that's fine, you know, I know how that goes. Um, but I, I tend to daydream uh, <laughs> more than I should, to be honest with you. And uh, I think, so this is my assessment on this, and you can tell me if you agree with this, but I think there's two contrasting daydreams that many of us have regarding how we'd like to be able to use our time. Now, some of us, I think if we are given more control over how our time was used, I think we would choose to spend the time relaxing. If we had more control, we would relax more. Uh, just recently, I was speaking to a man who's retiring very soon, and, and uh, he told me that he intends to spend as much of his retirement as he possibly can relaxing next to a pool, uh, enjoying the sunshine, and uh, just listening to the soothing sounds of the water as the water gets disturbed, and, and uh, he just wants to hear that, and he just wants to enjoy that. And this is his picture of a perfect retirement. Now, some of us have a different daydream that's more active in nature for how we would use our time. Uh, we picture using our time to meet needs or accomplishing tasks or maybe just being more selective about the demands on our time and then removing certain uh, demands on our time that we don't really enjoy. Uh, you know, weeding things out of our schedule that maybe aren't our favorite tasks or maybe even things that we feel like are, are a waste of time. So those are, I think, two contrasting daydreams. And, and honestly, while I gravitate toward the second perspective, so when I, when I analyze my own personality, I know that I tend to gravitate toward the second of those two options. But I think there's room for both, meaning there's a time to rest and there's a time to engage in activity. But in the end, I think it's wise for us to make an honest assessment of how we're using the the days and the weeks and the months and the years, ultimately, that the Lord's blessed us with, because the the years are going to be used up much quicker than I think we realize. My wife and I were just talking about the fact that the past 20 and 25 years of our lives have gone by very quickly, and then we're projecting into the future. All right, well, 20 to 25 years from now, what, what do we think life will look like? And I thought, wow, it didn't take very long for those 20 and 25 to go by. You know, it's not going to feel like it takes all that long for the next 20 or 25 years to go by. And so the question that I'm always asking myself or often asking myself is, how should I be making the, how should I be making use of the time that I have left? You know, in the time that I have left, what should I be doing? What should I be focused on? 
You know, what should my effort and energy be spent on? And I think when you look at Romans chapter 12, again, this is a very practical portion of Scripture. And there are some things in the book of Romans that I think maybe some of us found obscure or unfamiliar, but I wouldn't be surprised to discover that many of you are familiar already with some of the things referenced in Romans chapter 12. I think it's one of the most loved portions of the New Testament. I hear it quoted, with, uh, quoted from regularly, and uh, for good reason. And when you look at Romans chapter 12, and, and today again we're looking at the first eight verses of this chapter, you have the Apostle Paul painting a picture of how our lives can be used. And it's a good picture that he paints. So in the time we have left, we're given counsel to apply this kind of mindset to the activity that we engage in. Look again with me at verse 1. Let me reread verse 1, because here, when you look at verse 1, one of the things that we're encouraged to do is we're encouraged to be people who hold nothing back from God. Now, even if, but even before I read this, what does that mean to you when you think about this idea of holding nothing back from God? I just want you to think about that conceptually for a second as I reread verse 1. There it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, God who has given us life and who has shown us mercy, even though we deserved condemnation, He's perfectly justified when He expresses a demand on the life that He's given us. If He's given us this life, He can make demands on the life that He's given us. And it's clear from the opening verse of this particular chapter of Scripture that God has high expectations for His children. So if you call yourself a child of God, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're part of the family of God, the Lord has high expectations for your life. Not low, but high expectations. And Paul brings up a word here that I want us to notice right away as he sets a tone for this chapter of Scripture. He brings up the word sacrifice here, and the subject of sacrifice. Now, for those familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures, if you've taken time to read through the Old Testament Scriptures, in my, in my personal devotional time uh, each day recently, I've been reading through the book of Exodus again. And when you read through the Old Testament Scriptures, one of the things that becomes abundantly clear was that sacrifice was a familiar concept to the children of Israel. During the Old Testament period, during the Old Covenant era, sacrifice was something that the people of Israel were regularly called to engage in. They were required to make various sacrifices in certain ways at certain times that involved the shedding of the blood of animals. And this was done regularly. And this, there was a point to this. What the Lord was doing, He was using this as ultimately a tutorial to prepare our hearts to understand that the day was going to come when the ultimate sacrifice would be made. Specifically, that Jesus would come to this earth and His blood would be shed on the cross for the remission of our sins. I love what we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. It says this, First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. So you can see the the mindset here, it's saying, you know, these are things that 
that weren't your ultimate goal, Lord. That's the idea. Even though it was required, it was temporarily required, but it wasn't the ultimate goal. And the Scripture goes on to say in verse 9 of Hebrews 10, it says, Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. So what the Scripture teaches us when we look at the totality of what what God's Word communicates is that now that Christ's sacrifice has been made, no further blood needs to be shed. Even though sacrifice uh, of, of animals during the course of the Old Covenant period was a regular facet of their worship, sacrifice that involves blood to be shed to atone for man's sin ultimately was accomplished by Jesus Christ. No further blood needs to be shed. So even though Paul, in this portion of Scripture, as he's starting off Romans 12, even though he's using the word sacrifice, and he speaks about us making a sacrifice, he's not speaking about physical death. What he's doing here is in the view of, you know, in view of the finished work of Christ, we're called to give ourselves completely over to the Lord as a living sacrifice. That's the phrase Paul uses in this passage. He refers to us as giving ourselves over to the Lord completely, not holding ourselves back in any way. We're called to be a living sacrifice, challenged to hold nothing back from God. And we're told in the Scripture that presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice is considered an act of worship. In fact, this is how the Lord wants us to live the new life that He's given us through His Son. This is how the Lord wants us to use the time that we've been left with on this earth. To live our lives as a living sacrifice, glorifying Christ in recognition of the sacrifice of Christ that has been made on our behalf to make us holy. And so we're called to hold nothing back from God, and Paul starts this portion of Scripture by by explaining that that's kind of the premise that he's beginning here. And then he jumps into verse 2 and segues into teaching us to be people who don't adopt this world's mindset or values as our own. Look at verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pause there for just a moment. That's a wonderful verse to commit to memory. It's a very practical portion of, of Scripture here, a very useful piece of counsel. For every season of life, whether you're an adult or whether you're a child. By the way, speaking of children, um, parenting is a very interesting task, isn't it? I was joking with friends of ours yesterday. Their son was eating dirt. They enjoyed that, right? Um, I remember my grandmother at one point telling me, she said, you know what my mom always used to tell me? And I said, what? She said, You've got to eat a speck of dirt before you die, right? That was her comment. You've got to eat a speck of dirt before you die. So, um, you know, you got it out of the way. But here, here's the thing. Um, parenting, as enjoyable as it is, it's also a very emotionally draining task. When you, when you take the risk to have children, you're taking a risk 
to have your heart broken. You're taking the risk to be emotionally stressed. You're taking the risk that there are going to be times where your ability to sleep at night is going to be impacted by the fact that you have children. You, you at that point, are, are choosing to love someone uh, in a very sacrificial way, and it can be a very enjoyable task, but it could also obviously be a very emotionally draining task. And in my opinion, one of the most difficult aspects of parenting is to try and help your children to understand the difference between a Christ-centered worldview and a worldly perspective. Because that colors everything. That colors how they make decisions when you're not present. That colors how they see themselves in this world. It impacts the decisions that they make in all kinds of context. And the truth is that um, in every context that they will find themselves in in this world, there's a battle that's taking place for their minds. There's a battle that's taking place in this world for the minds of our children. There's many, many tools that Satan utilizes to negatively impact the minds and the values of our kids. And it's all over the place. We live in the information age. This stuff is all over the place, right? And the idea is to influence because what we believe impacts how we behave. And Satan delights to try and steer our children in all sorts of direction. And while children may seem maybe the most susceptible to some sort of schemes of, uh, of the enemy, Scripture makes it clear that adults need to be on guard as well because we're also quite capable of adopting a worldly perspective. And that's what you have the Apostle Paul addressing in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. And what he does here is, he, he, in this passage, he challenges us not to be conformed to this world. So he's saying, you know, our lives, our values, our influences, our priorities, these are all things that should honor Christ, not dishonor Christ. Meaning, even if the majority of people in our lives conform to the unbiblical values that get adopted by our culture all the time, we as those who are part of the family of God, should never be tempted to follow suit. In fact, Scripture teaches us that we have been supernaturally empowered to see beyond this world's corrupted perspective. Our minds have been divinely renewed through faith in Jesus Christ. Our minds are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love what we're told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 down to verse 23. There it tells us this, it says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The scripture tells us that the Lord changes the way we see things. He changes our perspective. He changes the way we, we go about life. He changes what we believe. And what we believe is going to impact how we behave. And with a renewed mind, when you get back here into Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul tells us that one of the benefits of having our mind renewed is that we're enabled to discern the will of God. Do you ever ask the Lord to reveal His will to you? Some of you right now are probably asking the Lord to reveal to you His will in regard to marriage, 
Some of you are asking the Lord to reveal His will to you in regard to your, to your occupation. Uh, some of you are asking the Lord to reveal His will to you in many respects. And I think it's interesting that here in Romans chapter 12, it's explained to us in regard to the will of God. It says, you know, again, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And as your mind is changed, as your mind is transformed, you'll be able to test and discern and understand what the will of God happens to be. Because what happens is this, and I'll mention this from a personal standpoint or from a personal perspective in just a moment, but when we welcome sinfulness and worldliness into our manner of thinking, we struggle to understand God's will because our minds are then clouded with deceitful desires, the type of things that Ephesians chapter 4 made mention of. You know, if your mind is clouded with all sorts of deceitful desires, that really does have a negative impact on your ability to understand the will of God because what you keep putting in front of your face and what your mind keeps meditating on and what you keep living out are things in regard to your deceitful desires that have more of a connection to your old nature, obviously, than your new nature that you have in Christ. But when, when we live with a renewed mind, that we've been given through faith in Jesus Christ, our thinking being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, our ability to perceive and discern and understand the will of God is clarified. This should be our desire for ourselves. This should be our desire for our children because this is God's desire for those that He's graciously redeemed. And I'll tell you what, and I know I've mentioned this before, but it's probably been a while since I've mentioned this, so I'll mention it again. There are definitely seasons in my life where I've been trying to wrestle through what the will of God is, and I've noticed a pattern in those seasons. When I'm living in a right relationship with the Lord, I understand the will of God much clearer than when I feel like I'm trying to run away from God in any area of my life. So when we looked at verse 1, we talked about this idea of being a living sacrifice, one who holds nothing back from God. But when I'm trying to hold things back from God, whether it be like secret sin that I just want to nurture in my life, or whether it be just a matter of saying, Lord, I want to elevate my own priorities over yours, or whatever it may be, that completely impacts my ability to understand the will of God. And when it comes to the will of God, there's two aspects of that that I want to point out. There's the moral will of God and the sovereign will of God. Now, in the sovereign will of God, we're trying to figure out, all right, Lord, where do you want me to live? What job do you want me to do? Who do you want me to marry? Do you want me to have children? Uh, you know, how do you want me to navigate this? How do you want me to navigate this? Like, you know, specific things about the major decisions that we make in life. But a lot of those things seem a little bit fuzzy to us in the moment. But one of the things that's not fuzzy is the moral will of God. And when you look at what Scripture tells us, it reveals to us how the Lord has transformed us and called us to live. He calls us to mirror the heart of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so if there are areas of my life that are not in line with the heart of Christ, these are things that I need to submit over to the Lord and ask Him to change the way I've been thinking about these things. To transform me so that I can understand His will. I'd encourage you, if the will of God seems fuzzy right now to you, Recognize that the moral will of God is not fuzzy. It's very clear. It's very much outlined for us in the Word of God. But if the sovereign will of God seems fuzzy to you, I just want you to ask yourself, are you still at a spot where you're holding something back from God? 
And if you're holding something back from God, it's very likely that the will of God is going to seem confusing to you. It's going to seem fuzzy. Because you're not really prioritizing His perspective. You've really adopted the world's values and the world's perspective and the world's mindset as your own. And as long as you continue to live with a worldly mindset, you're going to struggle with a heavenly mindset. With adopting the mind, the perspective, the values of God. But God's desire for you and for me and for all that He's called unto Himself is that we live with a transformed renewed mind that He has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. This Scripture goes on to tell us a little bit more about God's will for us. And it encourages us to start appreciating who we are in Christ. Think about that for just a moment. Look at what it tells us in Romans 12, starting with verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now let's pause there for just a moment. So when we're talking about this idea of a worldly perspective, which we were just referencing a moment ago, a worldly perspective involves an unhealthy level of selfish comparison that's based on human standards. So when life and when people and when plans are elevated in that kind of way uh, and really like thought about and evaluated in that fashion, we'll inevitably, inevitably begin to devalue others and elevate ourselves above others. But Christ has not called us to elevate ourselves, and Christ has not called us to devalue other people. Rather, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this and several others that are complementary portions of Scripture, the Lord invites us to appreciate who we are in Him. Meaning, He invites us to assess ourselves with sober judgment, with a mind that sees things from his perspective. And when you look at what Paul tells us in this portion of Scripture, as he's talking about the ways that God has designed us, he makes it clear here that we're all different. You know, when you look around the people in this room, you see a lot of people different from you. I see a lot of people different from me. And the Scripture tells us we're all different. He tells us here that even though all believers are part of the body of Christ, and we're all united one to another in Jesus, we have been intentionally designed by God to function differently. We've been given... Think about all the things that are different about what God's blessed you with. We've been given different gifts. We've been given different talents. We've been given different opportunities. We've been given different experiences. We've each met different people who have influenced us. Uh, we all come from different backgrounds. We've had different life experiences that the Lord's used to shape us and to mold us. And again, as this portion of Scripture points out, we've been gifted with different abilities to serve one another. Supernaturally gifted with different abilities to serve one another. Now, I have to say this. I'm glad we're not all carbon copies of each other. Are you glad that that's the case? Are you glad we're not all exactly 100% the same version of the same person 
over and over again. My wife and I are both, are, we're both oldest children. Now, if you ever read any books on uh, marriage and uh, the do's and don'ts of birth order, two oldest children marrying each other can be a very interesting personal dynamic. Uh, somehow we make it work because we appreciate each other's similarities as much as we appreciate each other's differences, but we have a lot of things that are very similar about us. We were both the type of kids that tended to color within the lines, right? Some of you are like, oh, I hated those kids, right? <laughs> we were the kids that colored in the lines. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I confess this to you, but I know some of you are going to judge me severely when I say this, and I'm ready for it, all right? I'm emotionally ready. I'm in a healthy spot right now. Um, <laughs> I think I can accurately say, and my wife can confirm or deny this, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure she'll agree with me. I think I can accurately say that there hasn't been a single day of our marriage when we have not made the bed. Some of you are like, yes, these are our people, right? And some of you are like, they are the worst. Why do I even attend this church, right? <laughs> I was thinking about that recently. And our rule is, you don't need to know this information. I should probably edit it from the recording, but... Our rule is, this is like to motivate, you know, the motivation to be the first one to wake up. Whoever wakes up second has to make the bed. Whoever gets up second has to, has to make the bed. So that's the deal. If you're last one out, you get to make the bed today. Now, sometimes we cooperate, right? But it always gets made. Terrible people, right? Terrible people. We like our clothing ironed. Now, <laughs> terrible, right? I have, uh, Josh, if <laughs> you'll appreciate this, um, your dad makes fun of me for this, but he once caught me ironing a t-shirt in the summer before I started for the day. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm ironing my t-shirt. It's all wrinkled. He's like, what are you, why? Why would anyone do that, right? I don't know, okay? I don't know, all right? That, this is how we're designed. <laughs> but my wife would be like, hey, that's my man, right? <laughs> she likes that. <laughs> uh, we like our schedules predictable. This is how that even played out just a few days ago on Friday. I always try and make a point before I leave the office here on Friday, I want to have everything done for today. I don't like leaving anything for Sunday undone because that means I won't get Saturday with the family, right, if I leave stuff undone. So I try and reserve Saturday for the family. So I, I have in mind, it's like, all right, be finished by about dinner time. And then I got a, uh, but I, I felt kind of behind on Friday, and around 3 o'clock my wife said to me, she's like, hey, everybody's occupied with something tonight, and from 7 to 10, we have no responsibilities, let's go out to eat. And I was like, you would think I would rejoice over that, right? And I called her up, and then I thought about how dumb this was afterward, okay, so I'm repenting publicly in front of you. But I called her up after that, and I, I, I said, honey, um, I said, you know, like, this would be the type of thing that I, I really would have appreciated knowing yesterday so I could plan it into my day. Like a surprise dinner. Like I, Some of you are like, wow, that'd be so wonderful, a surprise dinner. And I'm like feeling added stress. I'm like, now I have a very specific deadline. I have to have all this done by 7 o'clock. If I don't have it done by 7 o'clock, I've wasted this opportunity. I was like, did you know about this yesterday? I could have planned better. 
And she's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. No, that does make sense. I really should have told you yesterday. Because we agree, right? We think, we think alike. And then I called her back a little while later. I was like, hey, so you know how I don't do well with surprises. And I'm very sorry that that, uh, that, that was the case. I was like, yes, I definitely think I'll be done. I was done by 5.30. Like, why was I even thinking? Like, and, and at that point, like, I didn't have anything else I had to do on Friday. So I found myself just waiting here until 7 o'clock watching YouTube. You know, I'm just like, ah, I've got an hour and a half now. I, like I was, I'm watching YouTube and I'm like all stressed. Honey, you're going to interfere with my YouTube watching. Um, I, I like, I don't know. That's just how we, we tend to be, right? Like my car clean, all that sort of stuff. Have I painted the picture, right? I've painted the picture. We are terrible people. We accept this though, because we're terrible together. However, however, <laughs> One of the greatest blessings that the Lord has blessed my wife and I with are friends in our life, good friends who are the exact opposite of our personality types. The exact opposite. So think of all the things I just listed about our family. Trying to keep a schedule, setting artificial deadlines, like ironing our clothing, making our bed, you know, scheduling a surprise dinner, you know? Like that's, yeah, that's like, like they're, they don't, I don't think they've done any of those things the entire time that they've been alive, right? And, uh, and we got together with them just recently. And one of the things that my wife and I always say after we get together with them, because they are literally the exact opposite of us in so many ways, our comment almost always is, wow, that was refreshing. That was so refreshing. And I think they feel the same way because, they, you know, we've been friends for a couple decades and we still all get together a few times a year. And every time we're always like, oh, that's refreshing. And I think our stringentness rubs off on them and they're like, oh, that's what it's like to live an organized life. And their, their you know, like free-flowing perspective toward life helps us to realize not everything has to be according to a schedule, right? You can lighten up for five minutes, right? You can lighten up. And so I'm so grateful And I even said this to them at dinner when we got together with them. I was like, I'm really grateful for you guys because every time we get together, I always feel so refreshed by our time together. feel so refreshed by it. And then you look at a portion of Scripture like what we're looking at today, and what does it tell us? It's teaching us to appreciate who we are in Christ, and it's teaching us to appreciate the fact that Jesus has shaped and gifted each of us a little bit differently. We share our faith in Him, but we've been intentionally designed differently. And we're different, but it's complementary, isn't it? There are people in my life who complement my personality and my giftedness. There are people in my life that I complement their personality and their giftedness. And yet, Scripture tells us we're one in Christ. We're united. You've got the guy that keeps a schedule and the guy that reminds you Not everything has to be according to schedule. You have the guy that likes surprises and the guy that really doesn't like surprises. And together, they glorify Christ. How? Well, they use what they've been blessed with. They use what God has given them to bless others. Look at this as we finish up today. Look at verses 6-8, through and I want you to think about these verses in a very personal way. Think about this from the perspective of your own life. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, down to verse 8, it says this, "...having gifts that differ 
Again, think about that for just a moment. What is it saying? You and I, we have gifts that differ. Even before we get into the details, it says we have gifts that differ. God has made each of us slightly different from one another, and it complements and benefits one another. So again, it says having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And then it gives us some examples. It says if, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So have you ever taken the time to identify and think about and understand the nature of the gifts that the Lord's given to you specifically? Not just theologically, not just as we look at these, uh, you know, from a list perspective as we look at what Scripture says, but have you, ever, have you ever taken time to understand the nature of the gifts that the Lord's personally given to you as an individual who knows Jesus Christ? I want you to think about those things for just a moment. And by the way, this isn't the only portion of Scripture that references these things. You know, according to this chapter of Romans, uh, and also according to 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter 4, all believers have been supernaturally gifted by the Lord with special abilities that are to be used for serving one another. So however the Lord has gifted you, He gave you those gifts as an act of His grace so that you can serve someone else for His glory. We're to use these gifts to build one another up. And as we serve one another, that's the privilege that we're given. Are there people in your life that, that use their gifts to bless you, to build you up? Do you know last night before I went to bed, right in a row, I think within a half hour, I received three emails uh, from different people I know from different spheres of my life, each of which encouraged me. They were emails intentionally sent to encourage me. And when I looked at that, I was like, wow, I was like three right in a row. But it also makes you wonder, it's like, hey, I wonder if something bad's coming and the Lord's trying to like, like help me be a little bit prepared, right? Um, but no, I looked at that, I was like, wow, how wonderful that that person encouraged me. And then a little bit later, I got another email. Oh, well, that was a nice word of encouragement. And then I got another email from someone I know who read something that I wrote recently. And he said, hey, I want to let you know how that blessed me and how, how the Lord's using that. And I was like, wow, you didn't have to tell me that. But because they took the time to tell me that, made me feel good. They, they were encouraging me. It wasn't accidental either. They were intentional about it. They were doing it on purpose. We build one another up when we're using these gifts. And so here you have Paul giving some examples of the ways in which the Lord gifts people. And he starts off by speaking about prophecy. I think a lot of times people look at that and they're like, yeah, some people have the gift with the ability to predict the future. That's not the only way that term is, is used. And in fact, some people would argue that in this particular context, what's being spoken of here is the gift of prophecy is like this idea of being particularly sensitive to the will of God and proclaiming the truth of God. It may not in every context have anything to do with predicting something about future events. Sometimes this concept of prophecy is being used to speak about um, communicating the heart of God in an intentional way. And it also speaks about teaching. So if the Lord gifts you with the ability to teach, teach. 
I always appreciate those of you that help out with our children's church program downstairs. I try and take a moment, if I catch you downstairs before worship, just to say hi and, and let you know I appreciate that. And, and uh, those of you that help with nursery, you know, what are you doing? You're taking time to use that gift to bless somebody else. How about exhorting? Do you know what he means by that when he's talking about exhorting? Sometimes exhorting can mean to challenge one another in a way that maybe we need to be challenged, but it could also mean encouraging. And so the idea, like even last night as I received those three emails within a half hour, I was exhorted, I was encouraged by two brothers and one sister in Christ. It was a blessing to me. Scripture here speaks about a gift of generosity. You know, do you ever meet somebody that uh, just really has the gift of generosity? It's important to figure out who those people are and invite them to go out to eat. They'll pay, right? <laughs> They'll pay. Hey, so-and-so has a gift of generosity. Noted. Noted. Leadership. Mercy. These are different ways that the Lord gifts people, and He calls us to use these gifts for His glory and to serve one another. So, has the Lord gifted you with one of those gifts? Or maybe if you've looked at some of the other Scriptures, like 1 Corinthians 12, or Ephesians 4, or 1 Peter 4, maybe you've noticed something in one of those that you would say, oh, you know what, maybe that's the way that the Lord's gifted me. But have you ever noticed how the Lord's gifted you? I'm not just talking about natural talents. I'm talking about ways that He's divinely gifted you after you came to faith in Jesus Christ so that you, your life could be used to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the follow-up to that is this. Are you regularly using those gifts? Are you using the gifts that the Lord's given you? Or do, or do we... Like, so you know what happens a lot of times? All of us, whether we want to admit it or not, deal with a little bit of insecurity. Now, you don't have to admit it out loud, but all of us are a little bit insecure, and this is how it shows up in regard to the use of our spiritual gifts. You may be gifted in one of these areas, but you know how you'll talk yourself out of actually using the gifts that the Lord's given you? You'll tell yourself there's someone that can do it better than you. So why don't do it? So, so they can do that way better. Really? Is that the point of the Lord giving us gifts so that we would say, ah, Let's only let the person that we think is the best at doing this use their gifts, and the 99 other people can, can you know, do something else, right? So out of every 100 people, we only pick the one that's like, okay, that person's the most merciful. So all of us other merciful people, like, we don't really need to display mercy because that person's way more merciful. That's what we tend to think. We think, all right, someone else can do this better than me, so maybe they should do that. But that's not what the Lord's saying. He's saying... He intentionally designed you. He intentionally decided when you would be born. He intentionally decided where you would live, and He purposely put you in contact with certain people who need you to be using your gifts. Otherwise, their growth in Christ will be negatively impacted. It doesn't just impact us if we choose not to use our gifts. It impacts those that we have influence with. People trust you more than they may trust the person you think is the best at using whatever gift you think you've been given. There are people that uniquely trust you. They trust you. And if you're the one using that gift, it's going to be a blessing to them. And they're going to grow in their faith because Scripture makes it clear that you and I will not grow in our faith to the depth that we're called to grow if other people aren't helping us along and building us up a little bit by using their gifts. We've been given different gifts. I don't have all the gifts. I have a few. And you have a few. I know you have at least one because every believer has at least one. And if you're using what the Lord's given you, you're going to build somebody else up. Someone who uniquely trusts you and values the way you do things. 
And we're called to do that. Think about that from the church perspective too. I want, for those of you that don't know, this portion of Scripture and the others that complement it, it actually impacts the way we structure our church here. So if you know anything about the leadership structure of, uh, that Scripture encourages us in the New Testament to follow, it talks about elders and deacons. And so we have elders and deacons here. We tend to refer to our deacons as ministry directors. And our ministry directors, or our deacons, are over, they, they oversee various aspects of the ministry here of the church. And so in the context here, we have ministry directors who, uh, we have a ministry director who oversees children's ministries, youth ministries, nursery, hospitality, missions, prayer, building needs, finances, music, technology, congregational care, administration, etc. We have people that are point people on these things that are building a team under them. And each week in our bulletin, we have something that says, hey, is there an area you'd like to get plugged in? What we're hoping you'll do, by the way, each of the ministry directors that oversee their department, they're they were chosen by the elders to oversee that department because that's where the Lord's gifted them. And their goal is to build a team of people that serve with them. And so each week in the bulletin, we have that section there where we encourage people, hey, fill this out. And what we're hoping you'll do is check off, hey, I want to help out with tech or I want to help out with finances. We're hoping that you'll identify how the Lord's gifted you and then you can be plugged in to serve with our ministry directors on one of those teams so that your gifts aren't remaining dormant, and so that the church as a whole is built up. And Paul here is encouraging the church to have that kind of mindset, where we use what God gives us to bless others. He's given you a gift. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are gifted. So how should we respond to a portion of Scripture like what we see here in the ver- first eight verses of Romans 12? You know, I believe this portion of Scripture describes in very helpful detail the ways that we can make the most of our time, the time that we have left here on this earth. The Scripture tells us you know, that we're called to be people who, who hold nothing back from God. We're challenged not to adopt this world's mindset and this world's values as our own. Taught to to begin appreciating who we are in Christ. We're encouraged to use the gifts that God's given us to bless others. A life that's lived this way is a life that will not be wasted. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at what Your Word states and be able to think about these things and to be able to grow in our walk with You as we apply the teaching of Your Word to our lives. And Lord, we're grateful for the privilege that You've given us to be able to start off our week this way. Lord, we know that You've called us to be people who hold nothing back from You. You've called us to be people who live with a new, renewed manner of thinking. You've transformed our minds. You've helped us to understand things that, naturally speaking, we wouldn't have naturally understood, and we wouldn't have naturally valued these things. And so we're grateful for the new perspective that you've blessed us with. 
Lord, you've made us differently, you've gifted us differently, and you've called us to utilize the gifts that you've given to us. And Father, we pray that if right now we've been dealing with some insecurity because we think that there's somebody else that can, that's more gifted than us in a particular area, and so we sit around and watch them use their gifts, and then we never use our gifts, we pray, Father, that you'd change our perspective on that and help us to realize that you've uniquely called us and you've given us influence with a specific set of people that someone else will not be able to reach and will not have the opportunity to build up like we might. So Lord, we pray that we would be committed to what you've called us to do. We pray that we would be dedicated to what your mission for our life is. And we recognize, Lord, that the days go by quickly, the, the weeks, the years. It all goes by so quickly. But in the meantime, we pray, Father, that we'd look at a portion of Scripture like this and recognize that this is how you've called us to live. You've called us to be living sacrifices, men and women who hold nothing back from you, who live a life that's fully devoted to you in every respect and in every regard. And you show us in this portion of Scripture what that looks like. Lord, we're grateful for that. We're even grateful for the second half of this chapter that we'll have the chance to look at next time. That gives us all kinds of specifics about what this looks like. So we thank you, Father, for these words of truth. And we thank you for allowing our week to begin by worshiping you and focusing on the teaching that you've communicated in your word. Help us, we pray, Father, to walk with you faithfully as men and women who have been rescued and redeemed by your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And again, if you're not on the newsletter list, be sure to sign up for that. You'll find links to it all over the website, and we hope you'll take advantage of that. And be sure to utilize all the other resources we have there for you as well. It's our joy to make them available. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry, your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus, so ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.